Hello, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for coming back for another brand new episode of the Unsighted Radio. I hope you guys are doing good, whether it's a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good evening. I hope you're doing good and you're feeling fine. Anyways, if you guys know anybody that would like to listen to the podcast, please feel free to recommend it. I mean, I'm not going to stop you from recommending the podcast. Uh, Just make sure to let them know where to find it. It's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Audible. Have them search for The Unsighted Radio. Just remind them to spell unsighted, U-N-S-Y as in Yankee, T-E-D Radio. The Unsighted Radio. We would love to have you join the Unsighted Army. Alrighty, guys. Well, we have a great guest today. I am super happy to have them on the show today. I got to meet them back in June of this year when I went to the Go Beyond Vision Loss Camp that the Florida Agency Serving the Blind put together, which was amazing. Um, They were like one of the first people I met, and I really just connected with them. And it's like we became like old friends super fast. And I just love talking to them. They have such an amazing journey and they do such an amazing job. So I'm really happy to have my guest today. And she is the great and powerful Dr. Ashley Smith. Thanks so much for having me, Chad. I'm excited to be here. I love that that you felt the same thing of like just that instant old friends, because that's definitely how I how I felt when I met you too. Yeah, it was, you know, there's, you know, I can probably count on both hands the times that I've met someone where I'm just like instant connection and you're definitely one of those mm-hmm. people um obviously mm-hmm. Barb and um Amy were there and you know kind of do like a little like mm-hmm. hey come meet everybody before the big day and honestly my mom and I just mostly spent the two days there talking to you and just really getting to know each other right. but it was really just kind of like that old friends you know meeting up after years mm-hmm. and just continuing where they left off Absolutely. Yes. So for my listeners, do you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Uh, So the professional side, I'm Dr. Ashley Smith. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, a professional speaker, author, and co-founder of Peak Mind, the Center for Psychological Strength. So what that means is I'm a giant nerd and I like to learn about the brain and how it works and how it impacts our life experience really into the science of happiness. And um, my professional area of expertise is anxiety disorder. So I, my day job is helping people understand anxiety and how it works and why it works the way it does. And more importantly, how to overcome it so that it doesn't hold you back. Personally, I am uh, one of the uh, super special people with a rare degenerative retinal disease. And so I'm legally blind have been since childhood, but it's a condition that progresses. So I spent the first, who probably 30 years with vision loss, not having a diagnosis. Uh, doctors would say, uh, well, for a long time, it was, you're fine. I, I passed all of the tests with flying colors and yet still couldn't see. So ironically, even had one doctor tell my mom that uh, she should take me to a shrink because it was all in my head. Oh, Fast forward. Cool. I know. Right. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, 
Over time, things progressed enough that I started to tank some tests. And so very clearly, uh, I have a blind spot in my central vision. And as genetic testing has uh, improved, they've been able to identify my genes. So I have, um, like I said, it's central vision loss, so very similar to macular degeneration, makes me legally and increasingly blind. I um well adapted according to my doctors, which means I can fake sight pretty well in a lot of contexts. And then also there are some things that I have to adapt and over the years have really used my professional skills, right? Dealing with anxiety to deal with vision loss and the uncertainty, because I don't know how much I'll lose. I don't know how um, bad it'll get. And there aren't any treatment options. Um, so I, I practice what I preach. And then also that's really what propelled me into the science of happiness and living a good life. And how do you come to terms with disability and still live, live a bold, happy life. So Mm -hmm. that's me in a nutshell. Yeah. Lots to unpack there and we'll get to it as we go along in today's episode, but it's kind of ironic that you had a doctor tell you it was all in your head and go see a shrink. And then you end up in the profession that you are in today. It's like super ironic. It's almost like the universe having a joke with that doctor. Um, Right. (laughs) um, (laughs) So um, what is like your actual um, diagnosis? Is there a name to your progressive condition? Yes, it's uh, it's called occult macular dystrophy. And I just keep, I mean, to, to be honest, I am always a little amused because the, the working diagnosis I had before that was DOA, which was a uh, dominant optic atrophy. And then that got ruled out genetically. So I'm like, who names these conditions? But uh, yeah, occult macular dystrophy. All right. And so you, you mentioned you went, you know, pretty much a large bulk of your life, not really mm-hmm. being affected by it, but obviously, you know, you knew there was something wrong. You just couldn't get the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So I'm very interested mm-hmm. growing up what your lived experience was like. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I remember first showing some symptoms in elementary school and it would like where I went to school in the South, they did vision screenings. And I would say like, I don't know, it looks like a vacuum cleaner. It looks like a something which clearly was not right. And <laughs> I could, tell there was something there, but not exactly what it was. And the way I would describe it is nothing's blurry. I just can't see it. Mm. And I remember going from like sixth grade and I could read the chalkboard from the back of the classroom till seventh and eighth grade, not being able to, and I had to be pretty close and, um, I'm going to, I'm going to date myself here, but back in my day, we used overhead projectors, which were these like, uh, light up things that would kind of project onto the wall. And I had a terrible time seeing those, but I had a really good memory. So I just listened well and would fake it and, um, or make an excuse to go sharpen my pencil so I could walk (laughs) really close to the wall and see it because I was shy and, Mm -hmm. uh, really, really worried about being judged and just really an insecure teenager and now I know, right. I got to grad school studying anxiety and I'm like, Oh, okay. This is called social anxiety disorder, but I didn't know it then. I just was really convinced if people knew they would judge. And so I worked really hard to hide it. Uh, I was able to get a driver's license. That was super stressful because I didn't know if I was going to, and then I was going to have to tell everybody, but I was able to get a license using a, a telescopic 
device on glasses and I drove for a while. Um, I never was the one to volunteer because I think, I mean, I was safe for a while, but, Mm -hmm. um, just never really comfortable with it. And then when I hit my mid twenties, things started to decline more noticeably. So, I mean, along the way there had been some little like here and there of like, Oh, I'm having a harder time with street signs or faces. But I remember being on internship at a children's hospital and really experiencing what I I learned indicated I'm losing vision. So my eyes uh, get kind of wobbly. It's sort of like if you're crossing your eyes for a little bit, things come in, in and out of focus. I get eye strain and headache for a few days and then it stops. And it's like, oh, I just see a little bit less than I did before. And so that's been something that happens periodically since then. So, um, when did you finally get the diagnosis? Like, uh, was this after grad school during grad school? Like, Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Much, much after grad school. So Mm -hmm. I finished grad school and I was 26 ish and I still drove at that point. I stopped driving about eight years ago. So it was maybe 35, 36. I'd have to do the math. That's still fairly Um, recent though. yeah. Yeah. So it was about eight, eight years ago, maybe nine now. And I got the diagnosis after that. Wow. So, um, mm-hmm. where, where were you in life when you got this diagnosis and, 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 and if in any way, how, how did it affect you? Yeah, I was, you know, in, I live in Kansas city, which is where, where I am. Um, currently I was working at an anxiety specialty center there. So I was really, you know, in a solid place in my career. Um, and that's, you know, at that time I was doing, I do therapy. And at that point I was doing a lot of community-based therapy or in-home sessions, kind of the go wherever the anxiety is, but it meant that I, I drove. And so for me, when I had to make the decision to stop driving, it just got to the point where I, I knew I can't continue to do this. This is, it's getting unsafe. I was feeling really anxious. So I made that decision. And then I think after that, I got the diagnosis. And for me, having the diagnosis was important because up until that point, there are a few pieces. I mean, the way rare retinal diseases are right now, the treatment options really kind of stem on having your gene identified, right? It's going to be a gene therapy or a stem cell treatment. And they're doing really exciting stuff with um, Liebers and Mm -hmm. some of the other Usher syndrome. Um, And and so when they were able to identify my gene and say, hey, we know what's actually causing your vision loss, it gave me a lot of hope. Mm -hmm. So I still, I don't know if if I'll see a treatment in my lifetime. I'm optimistic that I might, Um, but that helped. And then the other thing is it's made going to the eye doctor so much more pleasant because prior to that, you know, like I've been going since the eighties. And so, um, you see the specialist of the specialist as do a lot of folks, but, um, it used to be all of these really uncomfortable, like physically uncomfortable tests, right? Like Mm -hmm. the contact lenses with the wires and the electrodes and the bright flashing lights and the pictures. And the last time I went, so I, I go every few years now because we know what it is and there's nothing to do about it. The last time I went, I think they just did like a visual field and then maybe one other. And I'm like, wait a minute, I don't have to have, and they're like, no, we know what it is. You should get a blood test now. It is so much more pleasant. So that's a, an unexpected perk. Yeah. I just went to um, a cataract surgeon um, just to 
get, you know, kind of like a kind of like, you know, like, hey, is it the cataracts or is it just my RP getting worse? Like, like, what's your opinion? Mm-hmm. Would the surgery even help or anything? And mm-hmm. it was so funny because kind of like the same thing bef- before, like my vision really got to a point where we could diagnose my RP. You know, it was mm-hmm. always kind of very contentious, uh, just very awkward. And then nowadays, I I just really have fun with it, and I have fun with a lot of the technicians, like, um, just joking with them, and they laugh, and I laugh. So, I I think for myself too, it's it's kind of made it to where I'm at a point where I just have fun with it now, and it just kind of makes it a lot less awkward and a lot less um, kind of awkward. Yeah, like you know, it's just like the you know That's the best amazing. Way to put it. <laughs> Yeah, Chad, that's amazing. It took me a long time to get where you are, um, to be comfortable with it, to even be able to talk out loud about it. Cause I spent so many years trying to hide it. Even, uh, like for me, the not driving was really this big, like coming out moment because I I couldn't hide anymore. I mean, I've gotten really good at, at all of the different tricks to kind of fake it and been mistaken for stuck up and rude and all of those things. And that was preferable to me. And now, I'm able to say, here's where I'm at. I can joke about it, which is definitely an improvement, right? And to be able to, it does make it less awkward. And it also makes it less, less of a defining feature, right? Of, of life. It, it's, I mean, yeah, it's something that affects both of us, right? Every moment of every day, if we're awake and our eyes are open, I'm aware of the fact that I can't see, but it doesn't bother me the way that it used to. It doesn't, it's not this loud echoing in my head. I can't see what's happening. This is not okay. And it's more of just like, oh, okay, cool. I can't see. And I have brown hair. Like it's just sort of a fact. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, obviously um, I think, you know, as we get more into like your specialty your your field of, you know, specialty, mm-hmm. you know, growing up for me, it was really more of what I thought about every day, you know, like 365, 24, seven, Mm-hmm. It's it's my vision's mm-hmm. going away. My vision's going away. I'm blind. Yeah, I can't do this. I can't do that. And nowadays, my vision is really kind of one of the last things I think about because I have just so much amazing opportunities coming my way in life that like it's like okay, yeah. cool. My vision dipped. Whatever. I've got so much going on, <laughs> and I'm moving forward regardless of my vision continuing to de- decrease. It's like cool. I'm blind, yeah. but. I'm still living an amazing life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the thing is, if you had told Ashley, you know, eight years ago, Ashley, who was terrified, right? I can't drive. And, and, and all of the things that I thought that meant, I thought that meant I couldn't be independent, which was hugely and still is hugely important to me, but I thought I wasn't going to be able to be professionally successful. And I spent a long time in school. I like, I have aspirations and and I'm pretty driven there. And I thought it meant my career is over. I thought it meant people wouldn't want to be with me either romantically or friendship wise or um, collaborations or anything. So it was just this, and I thought I was going to be miserable, right? I really thought blindness meant a lifetime of misery. And it's amazing when I look at where I am now, it's the same place you are of, it is not the first thing I think about. There are days when I don't even really <laughs> think about it. I mean, yeah, again, I, I'm going to notice, but it's not this same central feature because, you know, I'm just living life. And I know now blindness doesn't equal misery. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. So 
the thing that I, I I love about you, Ashley, is how open you are with your own struggles of depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, mental health, because there's a lot of doctors that aren't open to that. And, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the mm-hmm. saying is doctors make the worst patients because they themselves aren't <laughs> willing to be open with their own struggles. Mm-hmm. And I, and mm-hmm. I love you because you're so willing to talk about that. So I, I just, I had to say that to you because it really is a breath of fresh air when it comes to, um, you know, your profession. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's the joke, it's not research, it's me search. And so like, it's, it's funny, you know, taking vision out of it. Like I mentioned, you know, I was really shy as a teenager and then, but I was super perfectionistic and I did that. That's how I got into grad school. And then I ended up by a good fortune studying social anxiety in adolescence. And, and as I was learning, I was like, Oh, <laughs> this answers a few questions. <laughs> got it. And, and so that really helped, you know, I love anxiety worked for me because it, it just, it clicked. We know a lot as a profession, we know a lot about the brain and anxiety in the brain. And I like the science part. I'm not the kind of touchy feely therapist. I mean, we're going to talk about how you feel, but I know how you feel. You feel anxious or you feel sad. What are we going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And I loved that anxiety was kind of formulaic. There's, there's this process. And and to me, it's kind of like cracking the code and that's awesome. And that really started for me. I would like a lot of people would kind of put it as like coming out of your own, like coming out of your shell. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I hit grad school, I really came out of my shell. I was surrounded by people that got me like my kind of people. And it was great. And then I was learning this stuff. I practiced what I preach. And then I was really pretty content except for this vision piece. And then when I stopped driving that really, I mean, that threw me for a huge loop and I wallowed and I was scared and sad and ashamed and that I didn't know what to do. And so I figured, all right, you know, my anxiety skills helped to a point, but it wasn't enough. And then I did what I know how to do and that's dive into science. And so I started looking at science of happiness and well-being and what makes a good life. And then it turned into this grand experiment that's really helped get me to that place that you're talking about, which is acceptance where, you know, as psychologist acceptance means it is what it is where you're acknowledging reality as it actually is, but you're not struggling against it anymore. Not wanting it to be different. It's just kind of like, yeah. And making the best of it. Yeah. It it, it sounds almost in a way that your, your study and, you know, your, your grad work um, really kind of almost helped you understand, you know, your own emotions yeah. and maybe even help with a little bit of the mm-hmm. acceptance of your disability identity. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think I'm very fortunate to have the the professional knowledge and experience that I do because I think it it's made a huge difference in my own life. And that's why I want everybody to know this stuff. But you know, when it comes to the acceptance on the vision loss and coming to terms with that and that identity work, some of it also, I got to be honest, Chad, is luck. Mm -hmm. Some of the things when I look back and go, well, how did I get from that stuck place to where I am now? And my vision is worse than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. I'm doing better as a human than Mm -hmm. I was doing even before. And some of it is that professional knowledge. Some of it bad, bad pun here was blind luck. Right. And, (laughs) you know, figuring some stuff out. And now I want to help others do the same thing. Awesome. And I I would love to unpack that a little bit more in just a bit, but Mm -hmm. I'm interested 
were you specializing in something before you um, went into anxiety? Because obviously there's a lot of fields. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so it was mostly just anxiety. Always anxiety. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that was, you know, mainly just because, you know, it really just, you understood it because, you know, it was kind of, yeah. you know, this it, is me. And it, and it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so a big part, to be honest, a big part of my anxiety expertise is obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. And I don't have OCD myself, but it just makes sense. And then all of the anxiety, right? Social anxiety and panic and generalized, which is just worries on steroids. And it, it all just kind of makes sense. And it's one of those, every single human being out there has anxiety. And even if you tell me you don't, you do. And it's just a matter of, is it normative or natural anxiety, or does it cross over into just your anxiety system being too good at its job? But what I love about it is it makes sense. People can get better and people who tend to skew more anxious also tend to be bright and analytical and creative and empathetic. And so they have all of these strengths too. And so it means that I get to work with these just really amazing people and then see them break free and live these, you know, courageous, bold lives. And that is really something special. Yeah. You know, obviously, uh, I don't think I've really talked about it or even mentioned it really on an episode to this point, but um, I'm pretty sure people would be surprised to know that I do suffer from social anxiety disorder. Um, I Mm -hmm. have OCD. Um, I Mm -hmm. was at once diagnosed with ADD as well, Um, Mm -hmm. but, you know, obviously, you know, major depression. So, you know, I think a lot of people are very surprised when I say that because obviously... I'm at a point now where I don't really kind of embody a lot of those quirks or those, you mm-hmm. know, kind of those boxes that get ticked. So yeah, I think a lot of people are surprised when I say that. And I, I don't think I've really, you know, been like, Hey, hi, I'm Chad. I, I, I've actually, you know, I suffer from this. <laughs> right. Well, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, that, that does surprise the social anxiety piece surprises me, mm-hmm. right? Because here you are podcasting and public speaking, which is the number one fear, right? The joke mm-hmm. in the anxiety world is you'd rather be in the casket than given the eulogy, right? People are so scared of public speaking, <laughs> but you know, it's it, right. I know there's oh, sorry. that was really, that was really funny. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I do think, and this is my own lived experience, you know, for anxiety disorders are considered chronic and incurable. You, we learn to treat them and manage them and get them kind of under control, much like you would with diabetes. But my own experience with social anxiety is I, I really don't feel like it applies to me anymore. And, and I, and I know why, right. It's, it's this treatment of, change in the way that you think and stretching out of your comfort zone. And if you keep stretching out of your comfort zone, you just, you get used to things, right? So that I think takes away the anxiety. So I, I don't know, I guess I'm, you do surprise me on that one. <laughs> I think I surprised a lot of people. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there, there was a time where it got so bad that, you know, the anxiety was kind of manifesting into the, the heart palpitations. So and my oh, mind, sure. I was yeah. believing that basically every day I was having heart attacks and it would get to the point yeah. where I actually would go to like an emergency, you know, an ICU just to get like, you know, oh. 
the electric rash. Because it's know? real, right? And obviously they come yeah. back and say, hey, it's most likely just anxiety. And obviously at that point in my mm-hmm. life, it was very crippling. You know, I took a year off of college um, just to kind of yeah. get my own mental health into order and, you know, start, you know, kind yeah. of, you know, because listen, medicine helps a lot. You know, I, I've been mm-hmm. on Zoloft and, you know, I take, you know, clonzepam when I need it because, uh, you know, there still are days and times where I really do need that, you know, clonzepam. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you know, medicine, I feel, is only one part of it. It's also, you know, mm-hmm. healthy, you know, living practices that you have to do. So mm-hmm. like meditation, you know, self-talk, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, decompression, you know, there's there's so much else that you can do in you know conjunction with the medicine that will actually help and i think that's where like for me is like you said practice happy living is i think that's what's really Mm -hmm. helped with my anxiety in the long run is i think at the time where it was so crippling it was i was not practicing happy living i was practicing miserable living (laughs) right well i appreciate you being so open about that because The reality is anxiety disorders, I mean, they range right from subclinical is what we call it. That's the sort of the way anxiety is supposed to work, right? It's just anxiety is our built-in threat detection system. It's the whole job is just to keep us safe. An anxiety disorder is when your anxiety system is perceiving threat that's not actually there, right? Like you can't actually die of embarrassment, but social anxiety acts like you can, right? Or whatever it is. So it can range from subclinical to completely debilitating. Like OCD is in the top 10 most debilitating medical conditions in the world, right? And and so people often, I think, can downplay the gravity mm-hmm. of it. And um, so I think that's really important to know. You know, these are these are real medical conditions and they can take a huge toll. And they are treatable, but it's not easy, right? Not necessarily because you're you're a hundred percent right, Chad. Medicine is part of the picture. Healthy living, right? Like anxiety disorders, they're a think of it as a nervous system condition. Your nervous system is too good at its job, too sensitive. So you have to sleep, you have to exercise, you have to meditate or practice mindfulness, you have to eat well. We have to watch out for substances and screen time and kind of the, what are we doing to our brains, right? There are things that sort of chill out the anxiety centers in our brains and there are things that ramp them up. And then we do have to work on self-talk and our thinking habits, right? When, when left to their own devices, where I, I love to geek out on the brain, when left to their own devices, the thoughts that we have yeah. tend to be very negative, catastrophic, mm-hmm. and they're glitchy, right? Like uh, what we think And the way we perceive things is not an accurate representation of the world. Our brains are not like video cameras going, hey, let me show you this objective picture. They're they're twisting things with this agenda to like keep you alive. And then what happens when we feel anxious is we're getting danger signals, right? Danger, bad, threat, escape, avoid. So we avoid. And then what happens is we get more anxiety. So you end up in this sort of like echo chamber, this amplifying loop where things like misery right? And it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger unless you learn to be brave, right? And to kind of break free from it. And we have to be brave also in learning to be uncomfortable and and, and understand. It's it's like going to the gym, right? Like I don't love lifting weights. I went to the gym last week. My trainer made me do pull-ups 
not because she's hateful. Cause she knows I want to get strong. I'm still <laughs> sore. So it's uncomfortable, right? It's discomfort. But I know that if I can push through that discomfort, I will become stronger. And it is the same way with anxiety or depression or whatever it is. We have to push through and get stronger. Now I'm getting all preachy because this is the stuff I get fired up about. But no, absolutely. Yeah. Be as preachy as you want. You know, it's, it's you know, <laughs> who you are, you know. And mm -hmm. honestly, mm -hmm. it's it's still so stigmatized, even though we live in a very mm -hmm. more accepting society nowadays you know i, I can't mm -hmm. remember i was I, I just offhandedly read like an article that like in terms of you know like anxiety depression um just mm -hmm. invisible disabilities are at an all-time mm -hmm. high in terms of diagnosis oh yeah um oh yeah this one person was being like oh people are faking it using it as a label to get perks and just like that's so gross to say because there's really not a lot of positives to yeah. faking these disabilities. And that's what they really are is they're not just like, oh, it's anxiety. All right. Well, too bad. You got to do something that's uncomfortable. Anyways, it's like you said, it's a crippling disability. Mm -hmm. Um, so like don't yeah. undersell um a diagnosis like that. And so it's just mm -hmm. they're at an all-time high. And I think, you know, we're definitely in a society where people are more comfortable of disclosing. You know, like, hey, I suffer with mm -hmm. anxiety, depression, OCD, wh whatever it is. Um, but there's still there. I, at least I perceive there's still there is still some stigmatism. You know, you just have a lot of stigma. It, it is disclosing that. I, well, it is, and and what I see is a generational difference, right? Like your age and younger are getting really good. Like, it, I mean, it's almost this: if you don't have a therapist, what's wrong with you, right? <laughs> so there, there is this. You know, I think often the pendulum swings. So it went like my age and older, like, you know, your parents or my parents, those, those couple generations older than us. Um, we don't, we don't talk about it. Right. Cause it means you're crazy or you're mm -hmm. broken or you're flawed and it mm -hmm. doesn't, right. It just means, Hey, something's going on with your nervous system yeah. or what I really see. I, I, I kind of find myself. Uh, in this middle ground now, right? Like I, I did, I spent a long time really operating from this position of this is a medical condition. This is a, a disorder, mm -hmm. a diagnosis, and we're going to treat it as we're seeing these rates skyrocket. I mean, depending on how they're studying it or, or asking about it, eightfold increases since mm -hmm. COVID, right? I mean, the, the rates were already going up every year of anxiety and depression and, and chronic stress. And then it just exponentially higher. And that's not changing. Even mm -hmm. though COVID has kind of settled down, these rates of mental health issues are not going down. And I think a lot of it is this mismatch of our modern lives do not support well-being. And I think a lot of it then is kind of our brains doing what they were designed to do in an environment that doesn't support them. So I always tell this story about, I have this aloe plant. And I used to live downtown and I don't have much of a green thumb. So this poor little plant, I kept my, my window closed because I'm sensitive to bright light. Right. So I, I keep it closed. I barely remembered to water it. Somehow this thing did not die, but it was this like shriveled little brown version of an aloe plant. And I'm like, well, it's pretty hardy. Now I live in a house where it's in a window that's, that always is open. So it gets the right kind of sunlight. 
I'm much more in the habit of watering it. So it gets, you know, watered when it needs to. And it is huge. It is like five times bigger than it was. It's actually green now. And I like to, to talk about my aloe because it really illustrates the importance of the conditions to thrive. Mm-hmm. right? Humans are no different. We need the right conditions to thrive. That's those healthy lifestyle things. That's also the right social environments. Mm-hmm. Our relationships are like soil. They're either toxic soil. So we're not going to die, but we're going to be shriveled versions of ourselves or they're healthy soil where we're going to be really vibrant, but we need these conditions. COVID was not the conditions to thrive. Mm-hmm. Our modern busy lifestyles are not the condition to thrive. So then we have this sort of people are having more anxiety and more depression. And some of it is I'm like, yes, this is a disorder. You have a diagnosis. And some of it is, I'm like, well, you're my poor little aloe plant in a downtown apartment. Mm -hmm. We need to just kind of shape things up and you would be different. And so all of that to say, yeah, there's still stigma. Mm -hmm. I think we need to normalize things and also not under undersell the severity and also just really work to be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. Yeah, it. I definitely, truly believe, and honestly, if I feel like if people don't kind of think what I'm about to say, it's kind of like you're kind of just ignoring the reality. It's like the mm-hmm. next generation of young children and adults, they're going to suffer with so much more long-term like mental illnesses. And just like COVID was so impactful. And I just, you know, mm-hmm. I think the long-term effects yeah. on the next generation are really going to show. I think it's going to, I think we'll be seeing those for a long time. Mm-hmm. And there may be some benefits too. Maybe there's some resiliency or some innovation or something that comes from it as well, but yeah, it's going to take a toll. It has taken a toll. Yeah, absolutely. I love mm-hmm. that analogy though, because honestly, it really fits perfectly with me as I, mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of, you know, from, from me is, it was just kind of like practicing happy living habits. You know, I kind of was, mm-hmm letting myself be that little kind of shriveled up aloe plant and um right nowadays i'm a very vibrant five foot tall aloe plant exactly well you know the thing is what on the oh i love talking about happiness but what happens is we have this idea in our culture that we should be happy all the time right good vibes only just be positive and so that's actually part of the problem because what it says is that if you are ever feeling sad anxious guilty angry ashamed anything that's not happy good vibes only something's wrong with you and the reality is our emotions are like the weather, right? Like it, it, we, I love it when it's clear, 75 and sunny, but sunshine all the time makes for a desert, right? We have to have rain. We have to have all of these things, weather patterns come and go. So do emotions. But when we start to say, I shouldn't feel this way, that's when we start to cross into these problems, right? Like I have to get rid of this anxiety. And then what happens? You avoid or escape, you get more, mm-hmm. right? I, um, shouldn't feel sad. No, you know what? It's normal to feel sad when you have a loss for me, I just stopped driving. My identity changed, right? Losing vision. It's natural to be sad. What's unhelpful is to wallow in it. Right. And, and so there's this, I don't know, like we need to adjust our, our, I think ideas on happiness. It's not pleasant and enjoyment all the time. Right. Like, mm-hmm. 
I would say definitively, I did not enjoy writing my dissertation. That was not a fun experience. It was not pleasant. Would I do it again? Yes, because it was worth it. Right. And so when we talk about healthy lifestyle practices, it's not about pleasant enjoyment. I don't love doing pull-ups at the gym while I'll do them again. Yes, because that's an important, right? Like it's a little bit of discomfort to have a better, happier life overall. And that happens so much, but people don't understand that. Yeah, that's a that's a great point to make, especially for someone like me who mm-hmm. I really bought into kind of like the the cliche kind of American adult male. It's like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. males they don't talk about their feelings. You know, we don't we don't right? cry. Oh my gosh, we don't show emotions. And you know, obviously nowadays I tell people I'm like the first person to cry. I'm the first person to tell you if I'm not having a good day. You know, I'm like, I tell them I'm as, you know, unmasculine as <laughs> male as you could be. Um, but it's just like, for me, it's like, I finally just realized like, you know, me trying to be like this breadwinner, macho, macho man that people, you know, say I have to be, it's not working for me. It's just leading me down this vicious rabbit hole and, I've, I've got to break the cycle, but for a long time, and I still feel there are a lot of people that feel mm-hmm. like, okay, I have to be what society kind of portrays or represents in right. media or in, you know, uh, marketing is I've got to be this yeah. picture of a person. And if I'm not that, then I'm not the right thing. So I can't talk about it. And I've got to basically avoid these things so that I can right. check all the boxes. Oh my God. So I appreciate you saying that because the reality is so many thoughts. One, it takes courage and strength to feel your feelings. Mm -hmm. Feeling sad is not a weakness. That's a strength. Feeling anxious is not a weakness. It's a strength. It takes courage to feel your feelings. Two, trying to suppress them does not work. It's like shoving a beach ball underwater. The more you shove it down, just at some point, it's going to like pop up and bop Mm -hmm. you in the face. So we know emotional suppression does not work. And then we have this saying in psychology, name it to tame it, right? So if you're like, you have to name your emotion, this is emotional intelligence, right? And it's not just about, I will say I'm probably one of the least touchy feely therapist there is. I don't want to sit here like, Oh, and how does that make you feel? Like, I know how you feel. What are we going to do about it? Right. But part of that is being able to recognize your emotions, all of them, human beings, the way we are wired two thirds of the emotions that we experience would be quote unquote bad. Don't even get me started. Bad is not a feeling. It's a judgment, (laughs) but we are actually wired to have more unpleasant or negative feelings and pleasant or positive mm-hmm. ones because they, that keeps us alive. Right. So it's human to feel these. And then if you want to be successful, let's take this on that kind of peak performance route. If you want to be successful as a business person, an entrepreneur in relationships, you have to have a high degree of emotional intelligence, right? Emotional intelligence is a good thing. What is emotional intelligence? Being able to recognize your own feelings and the feelings of others and then navigate them effectively. If you're shoving them down and denying them, you're not being emotionally intelligent. So we need to re- redefine what it means to be a man or a woman yeah, or non-binary or whatever it is, human. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I just look at 
someone like my my mom's father who who passed in 2020 mm-hmm. he never talked about his emotions and we knew just yeah. looking at him like you're miserable you, you're not happy but you yeah. don't talk to us you don't open up but again that's kind of like he's in you know his generation that's just they don't talk about their emotions no mm-hmm. right yeah. Well, and that gets the kind of like, the, maybe this is a little bit of a, a tangent, so feel free to to shut it down, Chad. But what that makes me think of is, is one of the other things that I'm very passionate about is helping people understand that our, our beliefs, right? These are beliefs are things that our minds create. These are things that our brains take to be facts, right? So from day one, we're born and our minds are taking in all of this information. They're just trying to figure out how the world works and how we fit into it, right? And as they do, they start constructing these rule books, how to be a human, how to be a human, how to, in whatever kind of human we are, man, woman, American, whatever. But the thing is, these are, these are beliefs. They are not facts. Mm -hmm. And these are, think of it as these are rules that we don't have to play by, right? So whether it's, our grandfathers not knowing that, Hey, it's okay to have feelings or us coming to terms with disability, right? That for me, for a long time, blindness equaled misery, blindness equaled non-acceptance, rejection, unsuccess. And it turns out that is blatantly false news, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. just not true, but we, we go through life. Unless you know this, we go through life, just believing whatever our minds tell us. And that's, I think where a lot of my, my job with anxiety is helping people like, Oh, anxiety says, if you tell people, no, they're going to be mad at you. Let's test that out. Let's see if that's real. Say no and see, or OCD says, if you touch a bathroom handle, you're going to get sick and die. You know what? Let's test that out. So it's all of this testing out. And that was my own journey of really what helped me accept vision loss was I started testing out. Oh, if I tell people I can't see, they're going to reject me. It was so scary, right? So scary to test this, but I did. And then, you know what? People were nice. Okay. So then, and I put it out there, right? Like, okay, I'm going to be more open about this. Again, people were nice or accepting or, my business actually increased, not decreased. So it's all of this. We have to start to test out the things that we take to be true. And unless you know it through your own direct lived experience, we got to test it. Yeah. And that's, I think, important. And so many people, you know, I talked to somebody not too long ago who'd found me through, I think, a webinar I had done or my blog or something like that. And it was a, an older man coming to terms with vision loss. So he's lived his whole life with normal sight had an injury and now is facing blindness. And again, like, I get it, but here's the deal. Like blindness doesn't equal unhappiness, right? We have research studies to show that I have my own experience to show that your experience, right? But people just don't know to question. And so we have to question, question Mm -hmm. everything you think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, my mom uses the analogy of it's kind of like, uh, especially a disability, like vision loss, when it comes mm-hmm. to the depression and anxiety, it's kind of like a road trip. You know, there's stops along the way mm-hmm. and those stops mm-hmm. are the bad times. You know, the things where we mm-hmm. we can actually just stay in a wall though. And she's just like, she always, you know, said like when it came to her rearing us as children is she made sure to let us know that you can't park at those just stops along the road. You've got to keep traveling. I love that. So that was her analogy. Mm-hmm. That's the way that she's always, you know, put in, into our mm-hmm. minds. And 
that's the thing is you said being disabled and happy. That is one mm-hmm. thing that I thought I could never be. And I think that's something that right? a lot of people still think is because just mm-hmm. of the way that we have been represented, um, no matter where it is, it's like, oh, if you're disabled, mm-hmm. you're not living a fulfilling life. You can't be happy. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I sometimes surprise people when I tell them that I love my disability. They're like, how can you ever love something as bad as losing mm-hmm. your vision? And it's just like, well, it's mm-hmm. just, yeah, it it sucks. Let's, let's, let's just get that out of the way. It sucks. Yeah, let's okay? be real. <laughs> let's, let's just be honest. Like, do I want to be blind? Hell no. But right. have I found things in my life that, if I put it in the perspective of would I still have this if I found the, the magic cure and got rid of my vision loss and became, you know, mm-hmm. became 2020 Chad, 2020 in terms of mm-hmm. like 2020 vision, <laughs> not like 2020 mm-hmm. as of the year 2020, because yeah. that's a year I don't <laughs> want to go back. I don't yeah. want to go back to that year. That's not a good year for Chad. But um, no. it's like, would I still be the same positive, happy, accepting person? The honest answer when I think of it that way is no. So I'm in the mindset of the reason that I can say I'm happy to be disabled is because of what I've built for myself, what I, Mm -hmm. you know, have, and I'm privileged Mm -hmm. to have what I have, Mm -hmm. even with my disability. So it's again, I think it's like you, you know, something as negative as a disability can be a positive Mm -hmm. And I think it's just we as a society have put into other people's mind is a negative can never be a positive. But the reality yeah. is, is it can be. It really can be. Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, so I, I write a weekly blog and last week or the week before it was that point exactly, right? Like sometimes um, when we're going through one of those hard times, it feels like this is, this is terrible. But if we can zoom out enough, sometime like in terms of timeline, right. And see that actually maybe what was once a bad thing is a good thing, right. It starts us on this journey or it makes us grow. I, I talked about post-traumatic growth, yes. which is something people don't talk article, about. By the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. That was so really it, good. I love that. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's something people don't talk about. We talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Like kind of when trauma, um, when healing from trauma or bad things goes awry, and we don't talk about, well, actually sometimes that trauma or that hard thing is the impetus for growth and strength and, ch- and positive change. So I think that's really important. Now, I love your attitude about disability. I have to say, I'm not at a place where I am, where, you know, where I would say I'm grateful mm-hmm. for vision loss. I would agree a hundred percent that I am a different person because of it. And I really like who I am and the way that I live my life. I like the beliefs that I've cultivated, like my rules for living. Mm -hmm. It really works for me. And I would not have, I would not have this mindset if I didn't have to, to deal with this. Um, I like to think of it sometimes of like, and we're playing poker and we all get dealt cards and we don't get to choose our cards. Right. But you get to choose how you play them. And years ago I was actually, I was playing actual poker and I got like a two and a seven. And I think that's the worst hand in poker that you can get, (laughs) but we were playing, I mean, it was like five bucks or something like, I'm like, whatever, I would rather play and lose my chips than sit here bored. So I played the hand and I won. And my friend who was hosting freaked out. He's like, what do you mean? Everybody knows you're supposed to fold without hand. And I'm like, well, 
I didn't. I played the hand I was dealt and I played it well. And that's how I see it, right? Like you and I got the disability card. Okay, fine. What am I going to do? I'm going to fold. I did. I, 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 I've done that. That sucked. Mm -hmm. I laid on the couch yep. and I watched Netflix and I was miserable or I'm learning how to play my cards. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to do. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I always tell people, it's like, listen, this is just where I'm at in life. I'm not telling you, you have to mm -hmm. love your disability. I'm not telling you that you have to have a mm -hmm. positive disability identity. I'm just saying like, Hey, this is where I'm at. Here's why I'm at it. And mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. you're not there yet, cool, because our lived experience will never be the same. And if you don't get there, that's okay. Mm -hmm. But if you do, then I'll be there to give you a hug, pat you on the back and say, awesome, because there's nothing that I love more yeah. than seeing people embrace what many people just look at and say, oh, well, you, you've got to be miserable or, you know, death sentence, you know, disability yeah. death sentence. So it's like, I love just seeing oh my gosh. people with disabilities or whatever it may be that is, you know, right. impeding them on their walks of life. I just love seeing the underdogs win. And that's, that's what I love. Yeah. Well, but I'm right there with you. I like, I love hope, mm -hmm. giving people hope, helping mm -hmm. people feel inspired. And, you know, I, I don't know what happens when we die. So all I know for sure is that I have this life right now and I want to make the most of it. Right. Like, oh, this is going to sound morbid, but I think a lot about end of life and dying and mortality in a way that is freeing. Right. Like there's this classic, uh, I, I read it as a blog post. I think it's a, a book too, uh, that went viral several years ago. It's the regrets of the dying people on their deathbeds. Don't regret. I wish I had worked more or whatever. They regret not letting themselves be happy, not being them true, their true selves, not, um, connecting with people. Right. And I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want those regrets. I want to live now and I'm willing to be uncomfortable. So to put myself out there and to risk rejection and do all of those things to keep moving. Right. So I'm mm -hmm. with you. And I just, I want everybody, right. Cause if it's not vision, it will be at some point, most people are going to acquire a disability of some sort. Mm -hmm. And if it's not that, uh, statistically speaking, more people go through a traumatic event than don't. So something's going to happen. And like, what are you going to do? You're going to give up or you pick yourself up and you keep moving forward. Absolutely. So for, for you, um, when someone mm -hmm. comes to you, um, and they, and they, you know, they have, you know, these things that are impeding their lives, mm -hmm. you know, obviously you're not the one like, okay, how does that make you feel? It's like, okay, well, you know, what are you struggling with? And then how can we fix mm -hmm. this and, and solve it? What, mm -hmm. what are some of the more common, you know, you know, scenarios that you see in your profession and, mm -hmm. you know, just what are some mm -hmm. of your kind of go-tos, you know, like what are like your big things that you really try to focus on with your patients? Yeah. So it, it depends a little bit if, if we're talking like in my private practice versus, I mean, that's one way that I fulfill my, my purpose in life is to help people live bold, happy lives, right? That, that's the simplest way to put it is I want people to suffer less. Mm -hmm. One way is through my private practice and most people coming through that have anxiety of some form. And so, um, but, but then there's also like writing and speaking and, and that of trying to also help people. Like maybe it's not anxiety, maybe it is vision or maybe it is some other disability or whatever, but sort of my go-to is what I wish everybody knew 
it's a, it's a few things. I think it is incredibly helpful to understand how your mind works, right? That is, that is sort of my biggest thing is helping people understand that there's you mm. and there's your mind and you're not the same, right? Any more mm. than there's me and there's my, st- like, I like to say, you know, stomachs growl. I don't growl. My stomach growls, <laughs> hearts beat. I don't beat my heart beats. Minds think, right? That's what the stomachs growl, hearts beat, minds think. And so if we can learn to look at thinking as just, I don't know, like mental stomach growls, right? Like it doesn't have to be a fact. Thoughts are not necessarily accurate or helpful and you don't have to listen to them. Now we can't always get rid of them, right? Like if I said, whatever you do right now, whatever you do, don't think about chocolate cake. Think about chocolate cake, right? So we can't control our thinking. I can control my actions, right? So learning to to start to say like, oh, that's just my mind. My mind is telling me you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. But I want to go do this thing. So I'm, I'm going to willing to risk it. So one, you have to understand how your mind works. Two, you have to know who you are, what you stand for in life. Like I know for me, and this, this isn't just, most people don't just know this off the top of their head. It takes some work to really uncover who are you? What are your values? What, what matters? Like, basically I think about what do I want people to say at my funeral? Right. And that's what would I want to be true? And I want it to be courage, curiosity, compassion, um, that she changed the way I think. Like, these are the things that are important to me. So I try to live by those no matter what my mind is saying. So if I piggyback on your mom's metaphor of like, life is a road trip, like maybe I'm going east and I'm like, east is my journey. And I've got stops along the way I want to hit. New York and I want to hit London and, um, Dubai. Like I want to go all of these. Then I've got my mind. It's like all the the passengers on the bus. Right. And maybe there's the inner critic. That's like, you suck. That wasn't very good. What are you rambling about? People listening are going to hate this. And then maybe there's the life is hard voice kicking in. And there's the, the, what if something bad happens, we've got all of these passengers, right. And they're like, turn around, turn around. And if I listen to them, I'm never going to get to London. And so I got to be able to say, shh, you just stay like, I hear you, but I'm going to keep going. And that's the longest rambliest way of saying that. I think that's what you have to do is you have to figure out who you stand for and don't let those things get in the way, right? Like, okay. Vision who says I can't go to London with a disability, right? No one says that, right? And, and it helps to be able to look to examples, right? Like for me, finding someone who is blind, who is also wildly successful business-wise, wildly successful relationship-wise and wildly successful life-wise showed me that this is possible. And if they can do it, why not me? Yeah, that that representation um, <laughs> matters so much. You know, I'm I'm always so happy that like the first couple of years that when I was diagnosed with um, retinitis pigmentosa, I met, um, his name is Ryan Jones. He's, he's phenomenal. He works for Vispero, mm-hmm. which is the former company, Freedom Scientific, that develops the JAWS program, the screen readers for mm-hmm. computers. And um, my mom worked for his father. Uh, he was a principal at our local school district. And mm-hmm. he introduced us to his son, you know, very early on in our diagnosis. And that's, you know, what I'm trying to say is it was so important to see Ryan 
being basically like a VP at this company, this super successful, you know, assistive technology yeah. company. It was so important for me because, you know, even though I still had my struggles to go through later on in life, that was a very important mm -hmm. encounter for me to have early on in my developmental years because it showed me that people can be successful and be very um, competitive in a, um, mm -hmm. a market like that. Yeah. Well, and I think that applies whether we're talking vision, whether you're talking anxiety or depression, whether you're just talking about happiness or mm -hmm. entrepreneurship, like whatever it is, there are people out there who have done it. And I'm a big believer of like the information that we take in is like a diet, right? Mm -hmm. If all you eat is Twinkies and M&Ms, your body's not going to be very healthy. If all you take in mentally is the scary, stop watching the news. Like as a mental health provider, I'm going to oh. tell you, stop watching the news. If all you're taking in is the news or scrolling on social media, that's your mental diet. Like what are you feeding your mind? If it's crap, that's going to affect you. Right. And so I do a lot of reading on happiness neuroscience. And you don't have to be like, you don't have to do the nerdy stuff that I do. Read inspirational stories, find someone who's where you want to be and start reading about them and overcoming because most people who are successful had to overcome something. Like I love to throw out Michael Jordan. It's like one of the greatest athletes of all time got cut from his high school basketball team. Like the man worked. He didn't just get lucky. He worked. Mm -hmm and trained. And it's the same thing. If you want a different life experience, what are you taking in? Are you just listening to your mind and what are you doing? Are you training in the way that you need to? Yeah. I think that's so important. Honestly, this could be just another episode in itself because it's such mm -hmm. a complex um, topic to unpack is the impact mm -hmm. of social media on mental health. Oh gosh. I mean, because that is like yeah. one of the biggest sprawling issues that we as a society are facing mm -hmm. now, right now. Mm -hmm. And I love how you put it because I don't think a lot of people really take time to sit back and think of it like that, a mental diet. Mm -hmm. If all you do mm -hmm. is you go on social media and you get into conversation with toxic people, or you follow toxic mm -hmm. conversations and talk um, toxic mm -hmm. news articles, then that's all you kind of exist in. And I mm -hmm. guess people just don't really think of what we digest mentally has mm -hmm. an impact on our overall health, um, physically Huge. and emotionally. And I think that's a really mm -hmm. important thing to kind of highlight is, you know, I've never yeah. thought of it that way, but, you know, I'm on social media a lot just because, you know, I have to promote myself. It's mm -hmm. where I do a lot of my networking. You know, it's how I meet mm -hmm. people. And for me, I only intake positive stuff when it comes to my social media. Mm -hmm. So articles that I want to share about disability or mental health mm -hmm. or, you know, ableism um, and show why it's mm -hmm. wrong and how we need to be better. So like for me, I would like to think I have a very healthy mental diet where I look at other people when so. they say, oh, mm -hmm. man, why are you going on social media? It's such a toxic place. Nothing is like, well, that's that must be because your mental diet's not healthy. Because for me, I've never but had positive experiences with social media. So I think it's just a very yeah. interesting topic to think about. It's like, it is. what is your mental diet? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not opposed to social mm -hmm. media. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but it is, I think we have to be very, very intentional mm-hmm. about it. And then we have mm-hmm. to understand some of the things like it is designed to hijack our attentional system. It is designed mm-hmm. to be addictive more or less. And we, ha- and it's not only are you following toxic people, but also it, it really fosters comparisons. Yeah. So you can be looking at quote unquote positive things, but if the impact on you is it kicks in your inner critic, I'm not yeah. good enough. I don't live up. You're going to be less happy. So I would encourage, well, and then the other piece is the time that you are spending on social mm-hmm. media is time that you are not doing something that is more valued to you. So I think passive consumption activities, scrolling, um, aren't as good for us as more active or productive. And I, and I don't mean like productive crossing stuff off the to-do list. I'd rather you go read a fantasy novel than passively scroll on social, but, uh, and then it also disrupts our sleep, right? Being on yeah. the screen. And if you're late night and the scrolling, especially if it's very engaging, like, um, TikTok in particular. So I would encourage everyone, don't take my word for it, run your own experiment, Mm -hmm. test it out. What happens if you go a week without social media, you're going to feel kind of like out of sorts at first, then you're going to get used to it. And every single person I've worked with who has run this experiment has reported a positive impact on their mental health. It looks a little different for different people. I have yet to have someone come back and tell me, actually, my quality of life is worse without social. <laughs> no, so. it, you know, I definitely limit my time nowadays. It's like, if I'm not mm-hmm. being productive with my time on social media, then mm-hmm. it's time that I've kind of wasted. But if, like, mm-hmm. if I, if I have a, a, like an actual point of getting on it, then mm-hmm. that, that time that was well spent. Um, yeah, it's about and, being intentional. Yeah, and then also, mm-hmm. and I don't think people understand this, but there's studies that show that if you're on your phone like an hour before you actually decide to go to sleep, it disrupts your sleeping pattern to a point where you actually will have a harder time falling asleep. And also for people with light sensitivity, mostly people with vision impairments, it's even more impactful on their sleeping patterns. Interesting. I didn't know the part about, um, vision and the impact, but otherwise, yeah, screens and sleep that, that connection there is well-established. There are well-established connections between the the number of hours that you spend on a screen and your risk of depression and the quote unquote healthy number of hours is under two. Check your screen time on your phone. And most people, especially young people these days, it's, it's not unusual for it to be in the double digits, 10 hours on your phone, something like that. So the risk of depression goes up considerably with screen time. Again, I'm not anti-tech. I'm not anti-technology at all. I actually really like technology and allows me to live my life. (laughs) And I use my phone a lot and I do use social and I'm not perfect, but I do notice days or weeks when I'm on social in a more passive way the lower my mood gets, including Mm -hmm. motivation, productivity, quality of life. So run your experiment, test it out, right? And if your mind is telling you it won't make a difference for me, I'm going to say that's your mind. Test it. Call its bluff. Yeah. I mean, I think you bring up a really good point is I think a lot of us, we go through life and our mind, you know, I, I don't think anxiety is, you know, 
evil thing because like you said anxiety mm -hmm. is trying to protect us you know sometimes there's mm -hmm. there's times where anxiety is really really good but i just think mm -hmm. maybe people aren't conscious enough or they aren't honest enough when themselves when anxiety is actually bad and when anxiety is actually just you know trying to keep them from doing something that may be uncomfortable mm -hmm. so i just think maybe we just need to be more aware of anxiety and yeah. I, don't, I don't know like how can we become more conscious of anxiety and checking ourselves and making sure mm -hmm. okay is this just anxiety telling me don't do it because it's uncomfortable or is this anxiety telling me mm -hmm. don't do it because you could get yourself killed right right and I, I think that's great like concretely mm -hmm. learn mm -hmm. learn about anxiety right so um shameless self-promotion here. I have the building psychological strength blog at peakmindpsychology.com. I write a lot about mm -hmm. the mind and how it works. Uh, the anxiety and depression association of America is my professional home. Uh, it's adaa.org. Tons of articles and webinars and resources that are all reputable. If you want to learn about anxiety, that is a brilliant place to start. So you have to learn about it learn about the brain tricks, learn about the way our minds actually work to take up a mindfulness practice. That's like the equivalent of going to the gym, right? We know that exercise is good for your body. Mindfulness is exercise for your brain. It helps, it helps us become aware of what we're thinking and how we're feeling. So it really helps with that self-awareness because I, oh, there's this classic psychological study that 85% of people think they're self-aware but only 15% of people actually are. Mm -hmm. That's like over half of folks are just like, I know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And they really are clueless, right? So chances are we could all stand to work on our, our, our self-awareness. So mindfulness does that. Mindfulness also helps you separate what's real right now mm -hmm. versus what your mind is creating, right? Anxiety lives in the future. I know this is going to happen this is going to be bad, or they're going to say this. That's all a prediction. That's not real right now. And being able to, as opposed to if you're driving, neither one of us is driving and probably not a lot of our listeners, but if you're driving down the road and a car pulls out in front of you, you're going to slam the brakes. And that's your anxiety system saying danger. You're reacting immediately to threat right now. Not what happens, you know, when this episode goes live, right? That that's anxiety. That's the future. That's me imagining, not what's real right now, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So learn what you can, read, consume good information, and practice mindfulness, whether that's meditation or some other form. Yeah. And it's it's a tricky thing to juggle because, honestly, there, there is a lot of help. Um, but, you know, mm -hmm. you know, everyone has their own lived experience. And, you know... Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know there is any one-all be-all answer to how to fix anxiety because obviously I think everybody is different uh -huh. and some things work for others, some don't. Mm -hmm. um, but if we can just practice better um, mental health um, activities, yeah. practices, behaviors, then maybe we can start to curve these numbers because, mm -hmm. you know, when we, when we look at just like the rate of increase in these diagnoses, it definitely shows us, well, this is definitely yeah. a problem um, and we, yeah. we, we need to be solving it. We, you know, and it just seems like right now we're just yeah. kind of like, oh, well, it's a problem. We'll get to it when we get to it. 
Our thoughts and prayers are with you. Um, that's me being a smart aleck, but mm-hmm. yeah. The, and the thing is, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty vocal about, I think our approach to mental health is broken. Mm-hmm. I don't even, to be perfectly candid, I don't even like to use the term mental health or mental mm-hmm. illness, mm-hmm. uh, because I think it's sort of it, one, it, it makes it separate. Like, oh, there's health and then gotcha. there's mental health. Gotcha. No, 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 no. It's all part of the same thing, right? Like I think we need to talk about health and well-being as a total. The other thing is it, it, it makes it seem like it's not relevant to you and unless you have a formal diagnosis. And I think mental health is something that applies to every single human with a brain, right? Health is something that applies. And so we need to be taking steps to protect our mental health, to maximize our mental health, to prevent issues before they happen. And that's just not the way that we approach it. We typically are like, let's not talk about it till it's this really giant thing. And then let's try to do something that would be like saying, we're not going to talk about heart health till you have a heart attack. No, I mean, yes, like we, it needs to be addressed when you have a heart attack or it's fatal, but the time to really do something about it is decades before that let's eat well, let's exercise, let's keep stress under control and try to prevent heart attacks. And that's, that's what I want to do with mental health is I want to bust through the stigma. I want to be talking about this as it relates to everybody. Cause if you're a human with a brain, this applies to you. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in your opinion, what would be a better mm-hmm. um, word if, you know, you, you know, mental health, mental illness is should just be health and well-being. Um, mm-hmm. like, I, I'm just curious I, in your opinion. Yeah. I would rather just put it all together because mm-hmm. I think the distinction between physical and mental is arbitrary at best. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a few things, right? Um, we know that a good chunk of people who experience depression, their, their depression is actually caused by inflammation in the body. Mm-hmm. Depression is the side effect of inflammation. So is that mental or physical? Mm-hmm. Okay. We know that people who practice mindfulness, which is attention control, right? Meditation, um, if you have a regular mindfulness practice that can actually turn off a percentage of the genes involved in your stress response system. Mm -hmm. So is that mental or physical? Mm -hmm. Like, I think the line is very, very blurry at best. And when we continue to say, Oh, well that's mental and that's physical that, that we're making this distinction that doesn't really mean much. So I'd rather just put it all together. And I think as we learn more now there, I mean, there's even fields like, psychoneuroimmunology and it's psychology meets neurology meets so that's like mental meets your nervous system meets your immune system hmm. so they're just it's so cool i'm telling you i'm a giant nerd like and, and we know there are behaviors that turn on genes and turn off genes and it's just it's one complex system and i wish we approached it that way and we talked mental physical spiritual all in all in one hmm. That's that's interesting. I like I like that. I'll mm-hmm. have to start thinking of it that way too, because you know I just go along with mm-hmm. you know the language. You know that's what doctors yeah. say. That's what they use. So obviously I I just use yeah. it because I think okay that's absolutely terminology. But honestly, mm-hmm. maybe it's time for us to reexamine the terminology, mm-hmm. and um yeah you know maybe come to the uh you know the understanding that maybe it'd be better if we just place it all together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's my soapbox and I know not everybody agrees, but that's, that's where I'm at, you know, nearly 20 years into the field and kind of, 
I think just with experience and hopefully wisdom, but maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, you are super awesome. I I love talking to you. Honestly, I, you know, I consider you as a mentor. um, And I know that you don't go out of your way to be a role model. But to me, you definitely are someone that I, I love to follow. Um, and I look up to you um, and have a lot of admiration for. So I just, I want you to know that what you do, I recognize and acknowledge and, um, you know, thank you for all that you do. Oh, that's amazing to hear, Chad. Thank you. You're very welcome. So, um, before I let you go, cause, uh, we are going to wrap up, uh, cause honestly, I don't, I think if we don't, we'll just talk all day. I know you're, you've got a right. busy schedule. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> where, where can people find your blog is one thing. Cause your blog is phenomenal. Yes. I love your article. So Thank I you. want people to definitely follow you there. And also, um, what are some ways for people to contact you? Cause I know you do a lot of public speaking. Mm-hmm. So I'd love if mm-hmm. any of my listeners have anything that they're doing to recommend you. So, uh, this is kind of your time to uh, share those links because I would love for people to follow and support you. Awesome. Thank you. So um, for my blog, you can subscribe at peakmindpsychology.com. That's peak, P-E-A-K, like top. Uh, so peakmindpsychology.com. And um, I also have my own website, which is drashleysmith.com, D-R-A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-M-I-T-H.com. It also links to my blog. Uh, I would love to put a plug in for the TEDx talk that I did last year. That's on my website. And um, it's all about the brain and coming to terms with vision loss. So hopefully um, up, up everyone's alley. The best ways to contact me would either be through email, um, which is my emails on my website, or I'm most active on LinkedIn. I do have... Facebook and Instagram, but I got to be honest, I don't really check and I don't, that's not a great place because if you message me there, I won't, I won't see it. So LinkedIn email and peakmindpsychology.com. Yes, please do follow her. If you can, I, I would love for you guys to support her. She's awesome. And for anyone that has any sort of events, um, you know, that you think that um, Ashley would be great for. I, I'm telling you, because obviously I'm not just saying this because we're friends. She has an amazing <laughs> presentation and talk. Uh, it is absolutely phenomenal. And I think you guys would be very fortunate to book her because she is phenomenal. So that's just my own selfish little plug for my good friend, the amazing Dr. Ashley Smith. Thanks so much for having me, Chad, and for it all was, of the support. This was such a fun conversation. Uh, we'll have to do it again. Um, but thank you so much for coming on today. It was amazing to get you on the show. All righty, guys. Well, that's going to be it for today's episode. I hope you did enjoy it. Please, if you can, go support Ashley Smith. She's amazing. Um, obviously, let the Unsighted Army show her love because she is great and powerful as all. Please, my guests are always great and powerful, just like you guys. So thank you so much for listening. If you know anybody that would like to listen to the podcast, please do let them know. Again, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. Have them search for the Unsighted Radio. Just make sure they spell it U-N-S-Y as in Yankee, T-E-D Radio, the Unsighted Radio. We are on Twitter at Unsighted Radio. It's one word at Unsighted Radio. We have a Facebook page, the Unsighted Radio. Obviously, 
If anyone would like to get in contact with me, please send me an email at cmbalton. That's C as in Chad, M as in Michael, B as in boy, O-U-T-O-N at yahoo.com. Would love to talk to you, um, have you on the podcast, support you, promote you, whatever it is, I'm here to help you. Just send me an email and would love to get in contact with you. Anyways, that's it for today, but we'll see you guys again next time on a brand new episode. Until then, be safe, be kind, and love you guys.